For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you once again to be here with us this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words now be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This Sunday's pair of texts, Paul's exclamation from the depths of despair in Romans chapter 7, and Jesus' claim that his yoke is easy and his burden is light are an interesting combination, aren't they? They don't at first glance seem to go together very well. Jesus seems to say that following him is easy, and Paul perhaps the most famous follower of Christ in the history of the world, is crying out in huge existential angst. He feels he's dying and is in need of a rescuer. This is a great contradiction, but there's a sense in which great contradictions are appropriate in Christianity. After all, Christianity is indeed a religion of great contradictions. We believe that Jesus is God, and man, that the Lord is creator and lawgiver, and also the source of eternal and unconditional love. And we Christians, we are dead in trespasses and sins, and at the same time alive in Christ. Now to be sure, on account of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection for us, our new lives do overcome and overwhelm our deaths. You might say that we are more alive than we are dead. And from an eternal perspective, in God's eyes, our death is totally in the past. We have been raised to new life in Christ. It is finished but we still wake up every morning in this place. We still occupy this broken world as broken people. Martin Luther's observation that we are simul justus et peccator, at the same time justified and sinner, that's still an accurate description. We are dead in trespasses and sins and alive. In Jesus Christ. And I feel like as I was contemplating these things this week, we've heard these phrases a lot, perhaps in this church more than most. But we cannot let their familiarity undermine their power. Dead and nothing less. Alive and nothing less. We both desperately need a savior and can rest assured that we have one. So I wanted to spend some time this morning remembering the profound nature of what's going on here. Just how deep and weighty these things are. And to do that, 
I want to sort of marinate for a few minutes on these words of St. Paul's written 2,000 years ago. I do not understand my own actions, he says, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate is what I do. It is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. I know nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? These lines were composed in what is now Greece. It was written while Paul was living in Corinth. Like I said, almost 2,000 years ago in about the year 50 AD. But it was also clearly written about me. And clearly written about you. Paul knows us. This is another seeming contradiction. The Bible, written and compiled thousands of years ago, is absolutely about you. These 11 verses are the most accurate description of of the human condition that have ever been written, without exception. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Remember that Paul used to be named Saul and was a persecutor of Christians. One day on his way to Damascus, the voice of God came to him from the cloud, knocking him off his horse and striking him blind. These words of Paul's this morning are meant to knock you off your horse. This is our Damascus Road moment right here this morning. You've probably been knocked off your horse before and probably will be again, but this is the voice of God to us speaking into your life from 2,000 years ago, intending to bowl you over this morning, saying to you, I know you. I know you. For you know that nothing good dwells within you. That is, in your flesh. You can will what is right, but you cannot do it. For you you do not do the good you want, but the evil you do not want is what you do. Wretched child that you are, who will rescue you? From this body of death. Now, it would be so easy at this point to do something, anything, to avoid the power of these words, to try to let them slide off our backs, to leave them as generalities, to try to stay on our horses. I've been convicted this week. This is like the eighth or ninth version of this sermon that I've written. I've been convicted this week of my own desire. Not to let this text knock me off my horse. And probably 
of my desire to protect you a little bit. I want you to like me, after all. I don't particularly want to be the conduit through which God accuses you and brings you to the end of yourself. Because no one likes to be brought to the end of themselves, do they? No one likes to hit bottom at all, much less to be forced to confront the sin that brought them there. Yes, yes, we readily admit I do things that I shouldn't, and I don't do things that I should. I don't live up to the calling that God has laid on my life. And don't we want to stop there? I desperately want to. To stop there and talk about things we do and things we don't do. If we do that, we might get to brunch without having to be confronted in the way that Paul wants to confront us. In the way that Paul himself was confronted. But I want you to think this morning not in generalities. I want you to put yourself like I have found myself from time to time in my life in front of the bathroom mirror, leaning your weight on the counter and staring yourself in the eyes. You know the moment I mean. The moment when you regard yourself almost as a stranger and think, or maybe even say out loud, I can't believe I did that again. That's the moment that Paul is talking about here. The moment you think about your life and what you've done to it by action or inaction, and you can't believe it. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. And remember, as you're thinking about those moments, that Paul is writing as a Christian. He's not, at least not here in his letter to the Romans, lamenting merely the sins of his former Jewish life. Now, exegetically, yes, he's talking about himself in the flesh, not in Christ, but this flesh includes the flesh that is hanging on after his conversion, the dead in trespasses and sins that keeps dogging him and won't leave him alone. Paul is a Christian, like you and me, and is horrified by his ongoing sin, like you and I should be. So let's be honest with ourselves. What are your sins? Do they horrify you? They should. What are the specific ways in which You are doing things you know you shouldn't do and not doing things you know you ought to be doing. What has you staring in the mirror and you just can't believe it? Are you as faithful to your spouse as you should be? Are you carrying on a quote-unquote harmless flirtation at work, one that you have no intention of consummating? What about pornography? Are you filling your senses with explicit sexuality? Or your career? Do you cut corners in your job, doing what you feel you need to do to get ahead, skirting around rules and playing fast and loose with what you know to be fully right and fully wrong? 
Or maybe you're filled with coarse talk and inappropriate joking. Not building people up, but tearing them down. Or, and some might say that these are the preacher's favorites, do you fail to make it a priority to gather with the body on Sunday morning? Or fail to give to God the first fruits of your labor and your time? And your spiritual life, are you making the study of God's word a regular part of your life outside of church? Are you reading the Bible and teaching the faith to your kids? And you kids, are you failing to honor your father and your mother? Are any of you prone to criticize your neighbor for the speck in their eye while refusing to acknowledge the plank in your own? And that, of course, is just scratching the surface. Make no mistake, these are our sins, yours and mine. Do not let your sins remain at some nebulous, I'm not the person I wish I was level. Name them to yourself. Confess them to God. Because these are the things that are going on among us right here in this room. These are the sins of church people. These are the things that have Paul and should have us exclaiming, who will deliver us? Who will deliver me? We should wail from this body of death. Now, to be sure, we do make that exclamation each week. We'll do it in just a few minutes. We acknowledge and lament to God our many sins and offenses, which we have committed by thought, word, and deed against his divine majesty, provoking most justly his righteous anger against us. We say that we are deeply sorry for these transgressions and that the burden of them is more than we can bear. But let us never let that sentence mean less than it does. Let us never recite it as though it's boring or has no meaning. We are deeply sorry for these transgressions. The burden of them is more than we can bear. The temptation to make less of our sin is always before us. Let us never succumb to it. Our sin, yours and mine, provokes most justly God's righteous anger. Let us remember our sin's intolerable burden. We should fall to our knees each week in desperation. We should call out to God in fear and trembling. Let us always remember the terrible sinfulness of sin. But, but the story doesn't end when we get knocked off our horse. It doesn't end with us staring hopelessly into the bathroom mirror. Now, we need to get knocked off our horse, absolutely. We need to come face to face with the depths of our sin, but we do not stay down in the pit. We call out, who will deliver us? And here is the good news of the gospel. That call gets answered. God himself responds to our desperate plea for deliverance. And we must never make less of this either. 
In the same way that we are prone to underestimate the sinfulness of our sin, we might underestimate the power of Jesus' intercession for us. But listen now. He bled and died for you. Nothing less than that. He bled and died for you. And now... He has a wonderful invitation for you, a call that reaches you down in the depths. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. For your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Paul knows as he writes to the Romans and to us that his desperate cry from the pit will be answered because Jesus didn't just knock him off his horse. He did, in fact, raise Paul to new life. And now make no mistake. Paul was knocked off his horse. He was confronted by his sin in a much more uncomfortable way than that list I just went through with you all. Saul, Saul, the risen Jesus asked him by name and to his face, why do you persecute me? I mean, can you imagine? When you are doing or not doing the things that came to your mind when I was going through that list of our sins, just know that Jesus sees you. I didn't call anyone here out by name, but Jesus can and does. He knows you and your sin. When you're standing, staring at yourself in the mirror, he is standing right there next to you, my child. He says, why do you persecute me? Understanding that Jesus sees us in our most desperate sinfulness, we are moved to call out with Paul, who will deliver me from this body of death? And thankfully, this question is met with an immediate answer. Paul doesn't wait at all. He announces the source of his deliverance in the very next sentence. Thanks be to God, he writes, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As convicted as we should be by our tendency to underplay the sinfulness of our sin, to say the confession as though we've said it all before, we should be just as convicted by our tendency to take the gospel of Jesus Christ for granted. Let us never do that. Let us celebrate the good news with just as much fervor as we possess when we hit our knees in confession. Both should happen with all our heart. Confession and absolution. Sin and forgiveness. Jesus, Son of the Most High God, has bled and died and been raised again to save you. Let that truth wash over you. You, the slave to sin, who can barely look at yourself in the mirror, you have been washed white by the blood of the Lamb. Thanks be to God 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The one, Jesus, who knew no sin, who was perfect, became sin so that we, you and I, the people who can't do the things we want to do and keep on doing the things we hate, so that we could become the very righteousness of God. Jesus, in these words to us through St. Paul, acknowledges that he knows us just how we are in all the depths of our sin. And he does not say, don't worry about it. He does not say, it doesn't matter. He does not say, you're fine just the way you are. He does not say, I love you anyway. What he does say is that he'll die for you. He'll take your inability to do what you want and your compulsion to do what you hate and lay it on his own shoulders giving you his righteousness instead. This is what Jesus means when he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You see, we think that when we stand there staring at ourselves in the mirror, unable to comprehend ourselves, disbelieving that we keep doing the things we hate and never do the things we want, we think that it's the rules that are the burden. That it's all of God's requirements that are weighing us down. But that's not true. The requirements aren't the problem. God's law is holy. It is just and right. The problem is you and me. It's our sin that is the burden. It's our sin that traps us in this body of death. It's the staring at ourselves, thinking never again, and knowing that there's a good chance we will be right back there again. That is the heavy burden. But that is the burden that Jesus came to bear. It is your body of death that Jesus bears on the cross. Jesus takes your heavy burden those things you're carrying at the bathroom mirror, and gives you himself. He gives you his goodness. He gives you his rest. He gives you his finished work, his easy yoke, his light burden. Jesus knows you in your powerlessness, unable to do the things you want, drawn powerfully to do the things you hate, and then he becomes your savior. Who will rescue you from this body of death? Jesus, Jesus became that body of death so that you could have his body of righteousness and eternal life with God. So never forget and never downplay or underestimate the sinfulness of your sin. But never forget And never downplay or underestimate that your great sin is met and overcome by an even greater Savior. You have been delivered from your body of death. Thanks indeed be to God who has done it through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Amen.